Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns, I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations. And we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. on this one. I do. I was so impressed. I scanned up here to the top to see if I needed to plug in the top part and there it was right there. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, 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 I think, I feel like it's on theme because it's from a musical and he's called the boogeyman, right? Right. Even though it's not actually about dancing, but I, it's Halloween. It's, it's Halloween. Halloween. It's October. Week, so we, yeah. I figured it fit. All right, so <laughs> that's actually a great indicator of what we're talking about this week dun, because dun, it is dun. not on topic at all. No, um, it doesn't even refer to something that people who just, well, anybody who listens to the show would understand. Right, right. Is it even in the show notes when we post the show notes? Nope, it's I post not, it yeah. from the episode bumper down. <laughs> yep, secrets. So now secrets. now you have to give some context. <laughs> well, I think you mentioned it either last week or the week before is like when in our in our show notes in the transition between when we do the introduction, because we if you hadn't noticed, we record the introduction every week because for some reason I don't want to save us the time of pre-recording that and just plugging it into everything. Um, between that and the actual like meat of the show, we have a little blurb uh, <laughs> just for us. That's a transition. I don't even know how it started. Oh, I do know how it started because we used to, I used to write in the break where the, the interstitial time between when we did the introduction, when we started talking was, and, um, anyway, so it's every single time we put a, a dancing reference, uh, in between those two points. So it'll either be, uh, we had a dance dance to it. We had, uh, I want to dance with somebody we had. At this uh, point, we're, we're just like, we're skimming the bottom of the bucket oh, about no. songs about dancing. No, no, no. I know what I'm, or I know I what we're going to do. I should say the bottom of my reference. I know bucket. what I'm going to pick for next week. I already have a reference. I'm not going to tell you. Um, oh, I hope I remember. Right. I won't, but I hope I do. Um, and so this week I chose the, uh, the perennial Halloween slash Christmas classic, Nightmare Before Christmas, the Oogie Boogie song. So nice. where the, specifically the line where he says, you'd better pay attention now because I'm the boogeyman. Love it. I've never Love actually it. seen that movie. Have you not? I haven't seen a lot of really good movies. You really need to. You, you really need to watch it. It's very enjoyable. I've heard very it's enjoyable. fantastic. 
It is. Um, so yeah, uh, this week <laughs> you've, you've heard us talk about week. it. You've heard you've heard us talk about it many times. You we told you about it. What we were going to talk about last episode. Actually, we mentioned it just about every other episode, if not every episode, yeah. since we both have been diagnosed with it. Um, and honestly, it rears its head with us when we're writing every episode and yeah. when we're recording every episode. It's why we end up digressing <laughs> from our intended topic into related fields or unrelated fields. You so should on brand. You should see how much I delete or how much I edit out every week. Um, you, you actually get a sneak peek of that if you're a, a Patreon. Uh, <laughs> um, just bumping that right now at the top. And it's 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 usually why we end up doing last minute research, uh, just about every week, right before we push record. Honestly, it's kind of a pain in the butt. Despite the uh, the kind of strange trend to make ADHD seem cool or like it's a superpower, it's to me at least it's very frustrating. Just honestly, just Google ADHD superpower, <laughs> and you can see how many like poppy pop sci feel good kind of articles pop up um talking about how uh, people with adhd have all these alleged superpowers and it's like i said it's frustrating to me because one i would never wish anyone had to deal with this constant frustration and i feel like these sort of articles like put a a a certain mystique to to ADHD or neurodiversity in general um and because of that it feels like it's there's this like trend where people think it's cool to have ADHD I, I don't know how else to put it um this in turn this frustrates me because it leads to this perception that people are claiming to be neurodivergent uh just to have something special about them um, and it really kind of dilutes the meaning of neurodivergency and what what it is to be neurodivergent, and which just makes it more difficult for people who actually need accommodation to yeah. get accommodation. Don't let the salt in that previous paragraph fool you. I, there are some interesting things that can happen due to ADHD that can be useful or can be beneficial in some circumstances. And, and, and we can get into those later, but the reality of the situation is that overall, ADHD makes it very difficult to function normally in a world that demands attention uh, in the way that the Western world, our world, currently does. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely things that I love about the way that my brain works, but there are absolutely things that I hate about it. And I hate the idea that because the things that are cool about my brain are cool – other people would co-opt them in a way that makes it harder to make real change for people like us. It's kind yeah. of like the service animal dilemma, right? Some people just can't be without their sweet little puppy dog or no lie going into Walmart the other day. A dude had a parrot on his arm. Bright green parrot. Right? Okay. okay. Whatever. So they pay that $50 and they get it declared an emotional support animal just so that they can bring it into Walmart or to a steakhouse where it, you know, proceeds to be a holy terror to all the other diners because it doesn't have any actual training. 
And the diners who experience that, of course, develop a negative association with service animals and are more likely to cause a fuss or lose their patience the next time they see one, whether or not it's a real, actually trained service animal. Meanwhile, the folks who actually rely on working animals to navigate the world struggle to overcome those additional challenges that these phonies are causing. It's selfish, and it's a soapbox that we both can get on and do regularly. Um, <laughs> it re- like it's, it's evergreen. It's always ready to go. It's always ready, always to, go. ready to go. And again, again, don't misinterpret that to hear us say that anybody who has an actual emotional support service animal is a phony. We're talking about that category of people who want to bring their cute little purse dog everywhere or their purse parrot or a monkey. We have a little, there's a pig there's a, sometimes around there's here. There's a pony it's, on a plane once. Yeah. Right. It, there are situations in which everyone understands that there's not a valid reason for that to be happening. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about people who genuinely have animals that keep them from having panic attacks in public, right? That is that is an actual service dog. Those dogs are trained. They know exactly what they're doing and they perform their jobs well. Yeah. So we want to talk a little bit about ADHD today, what it is, what the realities of living with it actually are. Uh, there are a lot of misconceptions about it. There are a lot of things that people just happen to believe are true or that are coincidentally true. Um, and I, it's it's very common, I think, for people with ADHD also to accept some of these misconceptions about yeah. ourselves. And yeah, that can... Yeah, I fell for one. I fell for one for a long time. Yeah, Before I even one? knew I had ADHD, I thought that it was only uh, a, a kid's thing. I thought mm-hmm. only kids had ADHD. And so I, here I was, you know, 30 years old going, well, I can't have ADHD. I'm an adult. Right. <laughs> and so my bad. I brought that up to my doctor and he was like, hmm, <laughs> yeah, that's wrong, buddy. Right. Well, and actually, so the discovery of that was one of the landmarks in the history of um, what eventually came to be ADHD. I was under the impression that there uh, that you had to basically be hyperactive in order to really have ADHD. Um, a lot of times in women you're much more inattentive or you have an inability to focus versus having actual hyperactive behavior. And so I was 36 before I was diagnosed because I thought that because I wasn't hyper, I didn't have ADHD. Yeah. So lesson being, talk to your doctors. Yeah. Talk to your doctors. (laughs) If you listen to us talk about our personal experience and you're like, hey, I feel really seen right now. Go chat with your doctor and Do find it. out find out what's going on and, and see if maybe this this applies to you. Yeah. Um, add, so we're going to talk a little bit about what it is, because for me, it was important to actually research when I when I was diagnosed. I was diagnosed at the beginning of 2020, I think. Yeah, um, it's hard to tell because the whole year was one long diagnosis of <laughs> horrible life-changing things True uh, but actually my diagnosis with ADHD was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it like changed my life and how effective I am as a person so uh, so let's I want to talk about it define what it really is and to talk about what it isn't 
uh, to kind of demystify that and clarify it for some people. So at its core, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, is a neurodevelopmental disorder associated with difficulty paying attention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And that's it. Everything is cleared up. Everybody can go home, pack it up. The end. We solved it. We have successfully answered all questions about ADHD. It was as simple as a Google search, and that makes it perfectly clear. Um, I wish. I really wish it were that simple because then we wouldn't have to deal with a lot of the BS that we do have to deal with. Exactly. I mean, and we figured that just about everybody already knew that particular definition of ADHD. But the reality of the situation is that the definition carries with it like a sort of expectation of what ADHD actually is. We both we both fell prey to that. Mm-hmm. And that's the most people seem to think that ADHD is only an inability to focus or it's only hyperactivity. But it really comprises a constellation of symptoms <laughs> that are far, far more complex and nuanced than a simple inability to maintain your focus in a particular situation. In fact, the causes of ADHD have almost nothing to do with the mechanisms in our brain that allow us to focus. Right. That 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 is to say ADHD isn't caused by an inability to focus. An inability to focus is a symptom of ADHD. Which sounds uh, <laughs> it's nuanced, right? It, <laughs> But it makes a world of difference when you're actually trying to manage the symptoms or when you're trying to help somebody manage the symptoms. So according to a study from 2019, adults with ADHD may disproportionately experience something that is colloquially called, ooh, I stumbled over that one too, colloquially called uh, hyperfocus. Now this is, this study is relatively uh, small and it is in a relatively new area of study for ADHD. Um, like the study sample size was only 600, just north of 600. So it it can't be generalized too broadly, Mm -hmm. but it is a good indicator that we need to do more research on it because this is something that is coincident with ADHD. Um, the same people that might find it hard or might find it difficult to focus on a lecture or writing a paper or researching a podcast or, uh, any of these things, um, more frequently lose hours of time doing something that they find interesting, like practicing an instrument or painting or working on their car or gardening or really just about anything that can trigger the hyperfocus. I know for me, one of the biggest triggers for hyperfocus is yard work. Oh, yeah. I will putz around in the yard and not, not putz around. I'll like haul ass around the yard like weeding, trimming, edging, spraying, uh, fertilizer, putting down grass seed. I will do that all day. I'll, I've lost hours mm-hmm. to just cleaning up the yard. Yeah. And it's, I, uh, yeah. I can understand that. For me, it's, it's, um, it's cleaning, but it's not tidying, right? So uh, we bought a carpet cleaner because mm-hmm. our, our dog has some health issues. And I have to fight the urge to deep clean every carpet in my house every single week. Um, Cleaning the furniture or scrubbing the grout in the tile. Like I can super hyper focus on things that, that feel almost insignificant, Mm. but it's just another indicator of that. And again, 
hyperfocus isn't a component of the diagnostic criteria for ADHD, but it is something that seems to be very common in people who have it. It's it's one of those anecdotal observable criteria. You see this a lot in kids who play video games and it's um, it is a source of tension, right? Because you'll have a kid who's been diagnosed with ADHD, but can spend three or four hours playing video games. And people always want to make the case, oh, well, he doesn't have ADHD because he can spend three or four hours playing video games. Again, it's anecdotal. A lot of a, a lot of ADHD, and you'll hear that when we go through the history, is just kind of like, uh, well, they all seem to do these kinds of things. So it wouldn't surprise me if it doesn't end up in the diagnostic criteria at one point. But being able to hyperfocus is not indicative of having ADHD. Right. Yeah. It's not necessarily even more prevalent in the group that has ADHD because of ADHD. It just, it may even be that it feels more prevalent because of the stark contrast between inattentiveness and hyperfocus. Right. Or it might be more prevalent, but it might not be because of ADHD. There might right. be something else going on there. So we just, we're stressing that because we don't want it to come off as we're saying that these things are you know, one causes the other, or they always occur together. It just, right. we're talking about medical stuff. I, I want to err on the side of being overly cautious. Always so. like insert standard disclaimer here about assuming correlation, meaning causation, right? right? They occur together, but that doesn't mean that they cause each other, especially when you're talking about medical stuff. Um, so just as a definition of hyperfocus, if this is not something that you experience, it is a state of heightened, intense focus of any duration, which most likely occurs during activities related to one's school, hobbies, screen time, um, and it may include the following qualities. Timelessness, failure to attend to the world, ignoring personal needs, <laughs> difficulty stopping or switching tasks, uh, feelings of total engrossment in the task, and feeling stuck on small details. Uh, I, I'm a hyper-focuser while I read. Right? If, yeah. I, if I read a book that I'm interested in, everything else disappears. Yeah. What is lunch? It, I, I ate at 530. I actually ate right before we recorded this today. That was my first actual meal of the day. Yeah. Because I woke up this morning and I just had stuff to do that was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I totally spaced on eating, which is a problem because I also try very hard to put weight on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you work so hard. I work really hard to do that. And it is, it doesn't help if I only eat a thousand calories a day. Yeah. So, and it's just generally not good for, for your health. Food was literally purchased for me and placed in front of me um, today while I was working on writing this episode. And it sat there for three hours. Yep. Um, it just, I just couldn't bring myself to care about it because I was focused on the thing that I was doing. Yeah. And a lot of people might have experienced something like this or similar to this or might describe it the same way as like a flow state uh, when you are in the groove of doing something that you that you enjoy. Um, I think personally that flow state is a little healthier <laughs> because it doesn't cause you or at least when I experience flow state versus when I experience hyperactivity, I can move in and out of the flow state a little easier when it's something I'm interested in when, sorry, when hyper-focused, when I'm hyper-focused on something that's it, somebody has to like snap me out of it, or I just have to expend my energy. Like it's, it's not, it's not always a great thing. At one point it kept me up. Hyper-focused kept me up 
until like three or four a.m. painting my garage. Like I just because I wanted to get it done. And I kept looking at my watch going, you have to go to bed. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's 12 o'clock at night. It's one o'clock in the morning. It is tomorrow, John. What are you doing? But my brain would go, yeah, but you're almost done. You're, like, almost, you're done. almost done. Just finish. You can, you can just finish this and yeah. you'll be, everything will be fine. And yep. I'm like, yeah, sure, brain. <laughs> Start. The point being, it's, right. it's not necessarily that a person with ADHD is incapable of focusing. It seems that, in fact, a person with ADHD is more prone to incredible, like extraordinary focus. It is more that, that focusing for a person with ADHD is more difficult to control. While a neurotypical brain might be able to engage with something that is not necessarily rewarding, but it is necessary, a person with ADHD might struggle with that. Yeah. And just like having ADHD doesn't mean the person can't focus. It also doesn't necessarily mean that a person is always on the go or full of energy. Um, in fact, there is a very popular, very harmful belief that people with ADHD don't have a disorder at all. They're just lazy which whew, boy i wish sometimes i wish i was just lazy right, right? i wish that the pro that the solution was just to to just stop being that way um <laughs> just, right you just need more willpower yeah uh, it, previously in the history they used to call it motivation dysfunction which is great great the problem mm -hmm. with adhd is that it interferes with your ability to actually do the things that you want to do, even if you do feel very motivated to do them. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. something called executive dysfunction, which is basically an impairment that impacts a person's ability to analyze, organize, decide, and execute things on time. This is why important assignments or paperwork are just lost, or time just isn't managed at all. It is why I am perpetually five to ten minutes late. For everything, Same. no matter what, always. Yeah. I, it's it's impossible to describe to somebody that I want to be on time. Yes. I am trying really, really hard to be on time. Yes. But my brain doesn't do time. It just doesn't do it very well. It just, it's so hard. Like I, and it is so, it feels so hurtful because I, there's a really popular phrase in hustle culture, motivation culture, that people who are, uh, who are not on time are disrespectful, that you, that we don't value the time of the other person uh, that we're potentially meeting with, or we don't respect the situation that we're trying to go into. And it, that just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like a punch in the gut because yeah. I, I wish that people understood how hard I try to be on time for things. <laughs> yeah. And trust us, we've, we have both tried the like, just leave the house by this time. Just wake up at this time. Just do this by this time. Just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Right. And it, like, that's the most frustrating part to me is that I am aware mm -hmm. that these things are happening. I'm aware that I'm going to be late. I'm aware that there's something that needs to be done and I'm not doing it. But it is incredibly difficult, nigh impossible to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. You can't just willpower your way out of executive dysfunction. 
not not in the moment, right? It's something that you have to take steps and prepare for and have plans about. And I think we talk about that a little later. But as explained by somebody who has been exploring the leading edge of how ADHD relates to executive dysfunction, uh, Russell Barkley, PhD, it's, it's not that the individual does not know what to do. It is that somehow it does not get done. A person just gets stuck. <laughs> and this happens to me. This is like, we, we, there's going to be a lot of personal examples throughout the show because this is something that obviously we relate to very closely. But like one of the small ways that I experience this all the time is when I'm trying to pick out a shirt for work. I can open my closet. I can see all of my shirts. And then I can just stand there for minutes at a time staring blankly. And like, it's not that I can't decide which shirt I want to wear. Oftentimes I know it's that I can't choose the shirt, which is difficult to explain because it sounds no, like the same thing. No, it, I, yeah. but it's, it's so imagine knowing exactly which shirt you wanted to pick up and wear. And then you send that message to your hand and your hand just like, nah, bro, it just doesn't do it. Instead, your brain's like, well, let's look at all the other shirts just in case. Just in case. Let's 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 sit here and think about the weather for the day because obviously you need to dress appropriately, of course. Or wait, 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 hold on. When was the last time you wore that shirt? Has it been have, have you had that in rotation recently? Are you wearing that shirt too much? Will people notice? Do I wear the same clothes too often? And so on and so forth. I, I mean, that's not an exaggeration. These are these are the things that my brain just like rapid fires in a cycle when when I'm stuck in this like particular loop. And sometimes, sometimes I do just grab a shirt. But on others, like Tia, she's literally asked me, "What are you doing?" Because I just stood there doing nothing for so long. And all the while I'm screaming in my own head about how I need to get moving so I can get to work at a certain time or move on to something else that, that, that matters more than a stinking shirt. Oh God. And it's horrible. It can be so horrible when it happens and it can be even worse when it coincides with hyperfocus. Yep. So for example, I recently discovered reels on Instagram. Do you know how easy it is to accidentally lose like an hour just watching reels <laughs> gone gone they're, it's, they're, they're tiktok on instagram that's the whole point that's the whole point but the whole time i'm sitting there going hey you need to go mow the lawn but the reels are just so dang interesting and yep. you know what's what's one more they're only like a minute a piece it's just boom then you're stuck in this scrolling paralysis i don't want to waste an hour watching mostly low effort videos of other people watching slightly higher effort videos. Yeah. There's so many of those. But dang, if it is not giving me that dopamine rush, mm -hmm. which makes it easy to focus. And it's just, and my brain the whole time is going, well, it's not taking that long, is it? I mean, we have, we've only been here five minutes, if that. Boom. Suddenly yeah. you're the lazy guy who spends all day on social media ignoring your responsibilities oh yeah oh yeah 
It's um, when you're overwhelmed because you can't think of what you need to wear today and you pull out Angry Birds Pop because literally the physiological response of watching colored bubbles pop keeps your brain stuck in a dopamine loop. (laughs) You keep getting that little reward of watching the bubbles pop and you think, Mm -hmm. shit, I'm going to be late for work. Doesn't matter. But I just need to beat this level. This feels so good. And trying to pick out a shirt feels so bad. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Or spending 15 minutes digging through the laundry because I'm hyper-focused on knowing that I need to wear one particular thing. Mm. And I just can't, I cannot fathom the idea of wearing something else, but I can't find it. Oh, yeah. there, There goes, there goes 20 minutes. I've completely, I've completely lost hours of work. Like, home housework and stuff because i couldn't find the right pants to do my work in (laughs) i have several pair of work pants right but i only have one pair of really good work pants and and if you're gonna get into the zone of doing work you gotta put on the good work pants it's so frustrating it's so frustrating it should be apparent just from listening to us talk uh, that ADHD is more than just the hyper kid who can't focus in class or the fidgety adult who falls asleep in meetings. In fact, the symptoms of ADHD can run a pretty vast gamut. Inattention might look like the classic difficulty paying attention or being distractive, sure. But it could also be frequent daydreaming or forgetfulness or losing and misplacing things, only half finishing projects or being careless with things. Just dropping them on the floor instead of putting them back where they're supposed to go, even though the place where they're supposed to go is five inches from the place that you set it down. Mm. Hyperactivity might be constantly moving. That classic phrase here is, oh, she must be battery operated, driven by a motor, the Energizer bunny. But it's also just having trouble staying seated or fidgeting and squirming or talking too much. And then there's a whole other category of symptoms that fall under impulsivity. Things like having trouble taking turns or interrupting people or speaking out of turn or basically having no ability to delay gratification or wait for things at all. (laughs) These symptoms are usually the easiest to spot in adolescence. Thanks, hormones. Um, (laughs) Adults try to develop coping behaviors that allow them to more easily integrate with the workforce and day-to-day life. That's something that we've both had to do. So the symptoms there can be harder to spot the older someone gets, but they tend to show up as procrastination and poor time management, avoiding tasks that take a large amount of attention or feelings of restlessness all the time. A lot of times we find jobs that require a lot of activity and multitasking. We have an ability to handle stress. We make snap decisions or we lose our temper or become frustrated very easily. Um, And then that, of course, is as an adult, in addition to all the previous symptoms, even though those might not show up as strongly. Yeah. But wait, wait, I can hear the adults in the room saying, I struggle with a lot of those things. I don't have ADHD. Are you sure this is actually a disorder and not you just kind of sucking and having no willpower because you're immature? Well, okay, first of all, imaginary person that I just made up for the purposes of this podcast, ow, hurtful. Stings a little bit. Yeah, right? Trust us, we have tried everything to just suck it up and increase our willpower. Unfortunately, ADHD is really a problem with chemical imbalances in the brain. It's not something we can control. 
Symptoms are the result of neural messages in the brain not being effectively transmitted, unless, of course, the activity in question is really interesting to the person, and then boom, hyperfocus. <laughs> Boop, <laughs> it's one or the other. Push that button. S- saying, saying, just have more willpower, right? It's like telling a person with clinical depression to just be happier. One, it completely misses what the problem actually is. And two, it's not physically possible without some sort of external help. And three, it's rude. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I had to spend 45 minutes counseling one of my coworkers the other day because he has internalized that just be a better person mentality, even though he also is living with ADHD and some other stuff. Like, just don't do that. It's not nice. Yes, everyone at some point is going to struggle with these symptoms, just like everyone at some point is going to feel depressed or anxious. But people with ADHD experience these symptoms either in greater magnitude or more frequently, or sometimes both. It's not that we're addicted to social media or Angry Birds Pop. It's that our brains will not do anything else (laughs) unless they feel like it. Um, it's, It's not that we're antsy or fidgety. It's just that You know, my leg might be bouncing without any thought on my brain's part at all. And if I stop it, it's likely going to start again on its own. It's not that John can't choose a shirt today. It's that he hasn't been able to choose a shirt four times this week and is making him late for things. And when these symptoms interfere with functioning well, then it becomes a problem. Most people don't experience all of these symptoms. Most people with ADHD don't experience all of these symptoms. Usually, a person with ADHD will experience a unique constellation of them, um, and they can and will change over time. Because of this, there are three kinds or, or presentations of ADHD. These are labeled as predominantly hyperactive impulsive presentation, or predominantly inattentive presentation, or a combined presentation. So you can be more hyperactive, or you can be more inattentive, or you can have a fairly even balance between the two of them, Um, which is basically me. I just kind of suck at all all of it. (laughs) Yeah, my kiddo is is both. Um, and, And this can change too in a person's lifetime, right? So you may start as a young person being primarily hyperactive and impulsive. That was me when I was younger. I used to dance around the back of the classroom while my teacher was trying to talk. But as time goes on, especially if you're forced into different coping mechanisms, you may end up as an adult with primarily inattentive presentation. That's where I find myself right now. Um, ADHD is considered a behavioral disorder, technically, And it is the most prevalent of childhood behavioral disorders, as well as the most common, one of the most common adult psychiatric disorders. It's impossible to nail down exactly how many in each group have ADHD, but it's estimated that between 1 in 20 and 1 in 10 children have it, that's 5 to 11%, while roughly 1 in 20 adults have it, 5%. It's commonly accepted that ADHD is more prevalent in males than females, with two males diagnosed for every one female. However, this could be due to the fact that females tend to exhibit more inattentive symptoms, which are more easily overlooked or hidden. Yeah, hidden being the... (laughs) Well, we'll get into the history of it. Yeah. 
one common argument that I that's being made right now, and you've probably heard it. And if if you have not experienced ADHD personally in your life, you might actually believe this. Um, is that children are being overdiagnosed. People are being overdiagnosed with ADHD. Um, and therefore, we're kind of over medicating children. A lot of what we're seeing isn't, you know, actually ADHD, uh, but it's just normal behavioral patterns that are present in all children and that they'll grow out, they'll grow up with it. And then usually that kind of, sorry, they'll grow out of it. And then usually that sort of like, <clears throat> coincides or, or it's somebody that argues that will also argue that ADHD is mainly a, a United States problem. It only happens in the, in the United States. Um, but it's not true. The reality of the situation is that roughly 7.2% of the population globally has ADHD. And that number is going to hold true whether you're in the United States or Lithuania. Uh, in a meta... In a meta-analysis of 175 studies, they they came up with that 7.2% average, uh, the average prevalence in the population of people with ADHD. Um, that was done to a, that, that percentage is with a 95% confidence interval. So that means they're pretty sure, they're 95% sure they've got the number right. Um, and it falls somewhere between 6.7% and 7.8% right? So 7.2% is just the midpoint there. Um, so what that means is we can be fairly confident that this range, uh, this percentage will apply uh, to the general population globally. Now, there are some limits to the study and the meta-analysis um, that kind of make it harder to generalize globally. There might be a little variance there, um, but we can still be confident that we're in the ballpark. Right. Scientists still haven't fully established the actual causes of ADHD, but we do know that it runs in families. So it's likely that there's some interaction between environments and genetics that triggers it. Other factors that contribute to development of ADHD could include premature birth, prenatal alcohol or tobacco exposure, low birth weight, lead exposure, significant head trauma. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure is that last one for me. <laughs> mom, mom always did say that she dropped me on my head a few times. <laughs> That's not a joke though. That's true story. It's a true story. Yeah. So one time I was on my changing table and it was one of those like, um, I don't know what they call them, the chest height ones. Um, and it was like a, a dresser underneath and then a changing table on, on top. So it was, you know, four feet tall or whatever. And apparently I rolled off of it and my mom caught me, but she caught me by my foot. Oh, no. And when I rolled off of it, like my head hit the handles on the way down, like dunk, 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 dunk. And then when she caught me by the foot, my head slammed into the oh actual dresser gosh. itself so it's like dun, 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 dun. oh god i'm just very oh. happy that i'm like i was too young to form a memory about that yeah or same. i was like four and that's why i can't remember anything before you know dog. that's fair that is fair i uh, hope i wasn't on the changing table at four but yeah so fingers crossed i was actually dropped on my head well sideways or vertically down a dresser there you go she'll, if she ever listens to this podcast she'll probably kill me for telling that story probably but, but that's sorry, okay Mom, that's you. okay hey we do, do know purpose. we do know that there are some anecdotal causes that actually have nothing to do with adhd 
like excessive sugar intake, food allergies, vaccines, food additives, excessive television viewing, poor parenting, none of these. Again, absolutely none of these are tied to increasing the likelihood of developing ADHD. Some of them can influence how you experience your life with ADHD, right? They can make things worse for you. If you have food sensitivities, they can make your inattentiveness worse, things like that. But none of them cause you to develop ADHD and removing any one of those things from your life is not going to take away ADHD from your life. As I've had to explain to many people over the course of my parenting journey, no, changing what she eats is not going to take away her ADHD. Promise. You should just feed her less sugar. Just oh my gosh. Sugar. Everything from less sugar to parasite cleanses. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Right. Moving on. Right. Honestly, much of the history of ADHD revolves. I'm going to just let them. Yeah, the dog is contributing. <laughs> okay. Honestly, much of the history of this condition revolves around trying to figure out why we are the way that we are. And there's a a lot of history there, more than I thought. Mm. One of the first descriptions of what we now call ADHD appeared in the poetry of a German physician named Heinrich Hoffmann, who wrote poems about many of the childhood conditions that he saw in his office. Yeah, we know that sounds weird. But he, in his writings, described a kid that he called Fidgety Phil in 1865. That seems fine. That seems fine. Totally fine. Real scientific credit goes to George Still, traditionally, as one of the first authors to give any real clinical attention to what they called a behavioral condition in children that closely mirrors what we call ADHD. In a series of lectures to the Royal College of Physicians in 1902, Still described 43 children he had seen in his clinical practice who displayed serious problems with sustained attention, in addition to other characteristics like lawless, lawlessness, <laughs> spitefulness, cruelty, and dishonesty. He proposed that these kids shared a keynote preference for immediate gratification of the self, and that they were less sensitive to punishment. They'd be punished for something and then repeat the same behavior within a few hours. He believed these kids displayed a major defect in moral control uh, of their behavior and uh, that it was chronic in many cases. To still, this meant the control of action in conformity with the idea of the good of all. So in other words, the ability to choose behavior that is beneficial to the group rather than just the individual. He believed that moral consciousness involved an intentional comparison between what a person wants to do and the good of everyone else involved. This early period is where we start to see societal perspectives on ADHD and its connection to some sort of inherent moral failure. That's where it begins to develop that idea that if you have ADHD, you're immoral. And it's important here that we point out that Mr. Still's work predates the work of like Jean Piaget and Lawrence Kohlberg, who had these theories into how kids develop moral structures. When, when you're learning about child development, you learn about how kids develop morally. Um, and he didn't know any of those things. So I won't hold him responsible for uh, trying to keep kids to this crazy standard. But seriously, right. how many kids good. do you know that make their decisions based on the greater good? 
like none of them. <laughs> the process that's still described involves a level of self-awareness and the ability to understand the consequences of one's actions immediately and over time. And it also involves a complex understanding of society's unspoken rules. <laughs> Right? Like, this is such a Victorian perception of children right. as little adults. Um, right. But but we do, we I will give him credit for recognizing that those capabilities develop over time. And so when he was making his comparisons about these kids' abilities, he was doing that with kids of similar ages. That is actually, I mean, controlling your variables is pretty yeah. developed scientific technique. So at the time, he noted that um, that more males than females, it was three to one in his research, d seemed to display these characteristics and that the dysfunction seemed to occur most often in early childhood. He also noted that these kids were more prone to accidental injuries. Ooh, that's lived experience for me right there. Right. <laughs> Where's my hand in space? I don't know. Whack. Oh, it's right, right there against the very hard thing that I just nailed. Oh, that's another yeah. broken toe. Cool. Yeah, if I had a nickel. Um, um, and that the kids, the kids with biological family history of alcoholism, criminality, and affective mood disorders, uh, were more likely to show these characteristics. And these observations are all consistent with more modern research. Still even speculated that there may be some situation occurring where intellect and will were disconnected from each other due to cell modification is what he called it building on stills work other researchers would use that theory of undetected damage to account for these behavioral and learning issues there was some suggestion that environment or medication may be able to modify the exhibition of some of these characteristics and researchers placed a heavy emphasis on the need for special education environments for these children in 1917 and 1918, an encephalitis outbreak left many children who survived with symptoms that matched those that were described by Still and other researchers. They called it post-encephalitic behavior disorder. And it was clear that these symptoms were triggered by the disease process, which mirrored what Still had hypothesized with that cell modification. And then that occurrence, that realization, spurred a long period of interest in these ADHD-like characteristics as a product of some sort of brain damage. Causes like birth trauma and lead toxicity and measles and head injury were all explored by researchers in their connection to this constellation of symptoms. Um, right. And we're going to like say ADHD and ADHD-like characteristics a lot in this history section, in reality, it was 1980 before we actually got the acronyms that we use today, but it's just we ran out of ways to say inattentive hyperactivity, impulse Attention control issue, issues, issues, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's just easier to, to simplify. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you go looking for this stuff, it's not going to necessarily say ADHD uh, contemporarily unless Correct. you like look at a review of what they're saying, in which case they'll do what we've done right um just really quick encephalitis that's a swelling in your brain which can cause brain damage yes. in case you didn't know that um which is why they thought that a uh, this post-encephalitic behavior disorder um 
kind of supported his hypothesis that brain damage caused ADHD because swelling in your brain can cause brain damage. Yeah. And, and this kind of ushered in a long period where ADHD characteristics were lumped in with intellectual dis- delays and more serious behavioral disorders and even actual brain damage, contributing even more to the perception of kids with what they called at that time restlessness syndrome um, as broken or deficient in some way. Connections were even drawn between these kids and studies that were done on monkeys that had frontal lobe ablations. Um, those monkeys displayed excessive restlessness and aimless wandering and excessive appetite. And this connection was drawn that suggested that kids with these behavioral characteristics might actually have pathological defects in their brain structure. This was way back in the day when you could pretty much do anything you want and call it a scientific study. So yeah. don't just don't go looking for the, those studies if you are sensitive. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> It, it is telling that one of the most important studies of the brain ever conducted was Phineas Gage, who had a railroad spike driven through his frontal lobe on accident because he was a railroad worker. Um, and we were just like, yeah, let's study that because <laughs> he lived and his, his personality changed. Um, yeah. But it, that is a that is a really cool story, by the way. We might tell that history someday. Yeah. Anyway, during this time period, it became fashionable to consider children with significant enough symptoms uh, to be institutionalized as brain damaged, whether or not they had any actual case history to indicate that. As time progressed and, and evidence for actual injury in most cases failed to materialize, this shifted to a concept of, quote, minimal brain damage and then, quote, minimal brain dysfunction. But the concept of brokenness remained throughout. On the flip side, though, for kids who displayed these same characteristics at a lower level, there was much less inclination to attribute their behavior to an inherent dysfunction. This is where we start to see the most, the other most common perception about ADHD, that these kids are spoiled, undisciplined, or have been failed by poor parenting. Yeah. Either way, you don't win. You're either... Yeah. Inherently damaged, or you've been or failed you're spoiled by poor parenting, rotten. right? Yeah, it's irksome to me, and I was going to save it for the end. But so much of the history of ADHD is born out of this uh, this moral failing on mm-hmm. the part of the person who has it that it actually carries into today. Yeah, even now, it's considered a moral failing by a lot of people and companies if you have if you're diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah. There's actually a lot of pressure not to share that diagnosis in the workplace because, mm-hmm. uh, well, we'll get into it later. But Well, I mean, I actually, I did not apply for the FBI at one point because I was told that if I had a diagnosis of ADHD or ADD, that it would damage my chances of getting in. And so, now, mind you, I didn't know that I had uh ADHD at the time but what that what that did do for me was keep me from going to get diagnosed a long time ago yeah a long like over t- 10 years ago i w- i was thinking about this and the advice i got was like hey don't go get di- diagnosed because if you get the diagnosis it'll damage your chances and so i just didn't do either i didn't apply until much later 
Interesting. Yeah. It's crazy. And it, it just points out why it's important to talk about this kind of stuff um, and really get out there that this isn't this isn't a moral failure. Yeah. Um, back to the history, because, again, we digress. It's what we do around here. <laughs> In the late 1930s is when we started to see the first uses of medication to manage these behavioral symptoms. And then in the 1950s, we saw the emergence of something called hyperkinetic impulse disorder as an explanation for this constellation of behaviors. <laughs> uh, and that hypothesized that there was a deficit actually in our central nervous systems that prevented us from properly filtering stimuli before they reached the brain. Um, and as you're hearing us talk about these explanations, there's an excellent chance you've heard people talk about ADHD in these same terms. And that's probably because science still really doesn't quite understand everything that's going on. And yeah. so we still use combinations of these terms to uh, to describe it. And this is the first time that, that we start to see the idea of overstimulation and the inability to filter stimuli being a cause for this kind of inattentiveness. Studies were conducted on institutionalized kids. Which should not be a thing that exists, let's be clear. Oh my God, no, no. And that's that we need to probably talk about um, maybe for our from the headlines episode next week, because I don't know if you saw the Paris Hilton video. Yeah. 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 Where she described her her story. Yeah. yeah. It's horrifying. Um, I never knew. No, I, I also didn't. But we probably should talk about that. But anyway, stories work. <laughs> studies. Studies were conducted on institutionalized kids that would absolutely never pass ethical standards today ever involving medications and white lights to induce muscle spasms and EEG spikes. Basically, they gave them this medication and they flashed lights in their face until uh, their muscles started to twitch and their brainwaves started to spike. And they wanted to see how much stimulation it would take to get them to that point. And it was concluded that because the kids who had these ADHD-like symptoms required less of those stimuli, to induce reactions than the kids that were institutionalized for other stuff, we must already be closer to overstimulated than these other kids. Um, other theories emerged during this time about different physiological pathways that might be responsible for these symptoms, but it still remained firmly entrenched that hyperactivity and these other symptoms were because of a brain damage problem. It wasn't until the 1960s that researchers really started to push back on the inherency of brain damage in hyperactivity and impulsivity. While the theory of damage or dysfunction was useful because it placed an emphasis on the actual function of the brain rather than environmental failures like parenting, it still didn't explain why symptoms existed where no evidence of damage existed. So over the next 20 years, researchers would start to use more specific labels based on the observable issues that children were experiencing. This is when we started to see terms like dyslexia and language disorders, and most relevant to our conversation, hyperactivity syndrome, come to the forefront. The description of this syndrome very closely mirrors what would eventually actually be called ADHD. They were hyperactive behavior, educational underperformance, defiant behavior, impulsivity, and poor attention span. Most importantly, though, while this syndrome acknowledged that these symptoms could come from a place of physical damage or deficiency, they also could be separate from that. 
So during the next decades, several models and theories would develop that accounted for various aspects of the condition. That included uh, defiant behaviors or didn't that focused on hyperactivity or impulse control or inattentiveness. Leading the way was researcher Virginia Douglas and her colleague Gabrielle Weiss. Their research established the foundations of much of our modern understanding of ADHD, and they were some of the first to note that while hyperactivity tended to drop off as patients reached puberty, the lack of attentiveness and impulse control tended to remain. Fast forward through more decades of complicated research, and we end up at our most modern definition of ADHD, where attentiveness, impulsivity, and hyperactivity all factor in at various rates dependent on the individual. While there is still some struggle around the concept of inherent brokenness, as we discussed, or dysfunction of ADHD brains, and significant misunderstanding about how environment and discipline and morality play into the condition, also as we've discussed, (laughs) people with ADHD experience less stigmatization overall than they did in the past. Right. We certainly are much less likely to be institutionalized for it today uh, versus 60 to 80 years ago. 80 years ago, yeah. Um, But instead, there is this uh, new and growing movement to accept and celebrate a concept called neurodiversity. The idea that there may not be one ideal way for the brain to function and that the constructs of... um, industrial society, the way that we've set it up for maximum productivity, may actually be more of a problem than the way that our brains function independently. The concept rejects the idea that ADHD and autism spectrum disorders, which is kind of where this neurodiversity idea originated, are divergent ways of functioning, and it embraces them as different ways of functioning to be accepted and accounted for as we build our societal structures. Um, As an adult with ADHD, raising a kid with ADHD, I really enjoy this perspective because it continues to reduce the stigma around brains that work like ours. And I've found that it gives me more tools to advocate for my kid and for myself in the different parts of our lives where people Mm. may not have understanding. Yeah. I think just if I apply my layman's understanding of evolutionary theory to this, I think it only makes sense that certain parts of the population developed ADHD and certain parts developed autism and these other behavioral disorders or differences, these neurodivergencies, because it means that diversification means that overall the population is more resilient. Um, There's not going to be any one thing necessarily that can wipe everybody out if your population is more diverse, right? So, you know, evolutionarily speaking, it might make more sense to have people who have difficulty sleeping, for example, uh, until a certain time of night Mm -hmm. so that they can stay up later and keep guard and be more alert during the night, the predatory hours for a lot of animals. Um, And then it might be more beneficial to have other people who wake up very early, and who can function well as soon as they wake up so that that the time, the overlap where there's not a lot of functioning people is very small. It's a theory, right? I that That's going to require somebody with far more knowledge of anthropology right. and evolution and human biology than me. But it's something I consider all the time when I wonder about why my brain 
works differently and why I struggle with these things. Yeah, and it, that's a it's a really common conversation in these spaces where we're talking about neurodivergence and neurodiversity, uh, which are separate terms, but also overlap in a lot of ways. And this idea that if you look at the patterns of human history, uh, we didn't really have a whole lot of need for prolonged focus that was not hyper-focus in our history until about the last 200 years. Um, and so within that last 200 years, as we've built these complicated societies with industries that require us to be very disciplined and very production-oriented and focused, and our value has has transferred from all of the things that we can bring to the group to how much money can you earn and how much work can you get done in a day, uh, perceptions around how our brains function have changed. And mm. those of us whose brains are less capable of shifting into that kind of structure tend to stick out in places where that kind of structure is expected. Wouldn't it be ironic if the people who are capable of long focus stents that isn't hyper-focused, right, just normally, are actually the neurodivergent ones. Right? So crazy. Clearly, only 7% of the population has ADHD, so that's not what's happening. But right. if it were true, it would be very interesting. Well, okay, but like we also have to think about, sure, 7.2% of the population has been diagnosed with ADHD, but also what percentage of the population functions in societal uh, situations where they're expected to have this industrial and productivity focused mindset. If you're existing in a space where you essentially control your day, if you're part of a hunter gatherer society, or if you live in a market and, and agri agricultural based society, and you're not trying to fit your daily activities into a nine to five block, the likelihood that those inabilities would show up as glaringly and cause problems in your life is much lower. I don't know. We're hypothesizing here. Definitely worth considering, though. Um, I think we're this one's going to be a long, and we'll just wrap up with some, like, just some examples of how this, specific examples of how this impacts our daily life, just because there are things that we haven't touched on yet that we do want to get out there <laughs> because we want people to be aware of how how ADHD actually impacts everybody. Um, so just like in daily life, just without work being considered or or this podcast or anything, you know, in addition to the problems with choosing the right shirt, right? <laughs> the most common problem I struggle with is actually my sleep schedule. Now, ADHD is frequently coincident with sleep disorders. And the medications to treat ADHD can also cause disrupted or disturbed sleep. So it's kind of a kind of a catch-22. You know, either you treat yourself and have sleep problems, or you don't treat yourself and you have sleep problems, or you treat yourself and you have worse sleep problems. Who knows? Who knows? There's no winning. Um, I haven't had time to fully dive into what my particular sleep issue is i'm planning on having uh, participating in a sleep study here within the next couple of months um, so i can figure it out but generally it presents as an inability to fall asleep and then i have poor sleep quality which is followed by an inability to wake up in the morning <laughs> which then of course sets me up for failure in getting out of the door on time or not being stressed about which shirt i need to pick and therefore not worrying about which shirt i need to pick and therefore not ending up in an executive dysfunction loop sucks 
There's nothing I can do about it. I go to bed earlier, I just stare at the ceiling longer. And I'm not sure if I'm not sure if this is actually directly related to the poor sleep quality or just an overall sleep disorder, but this often leads to me being incredibly sleepy in the early afternoon, early to mid-afternoon. And I don't mean like, oh, I ate too much and now I want a nap. I mean like one day I was in the middle of working out at the gym with a barbell overhead and my eyes got so heavy that I couldn't keep them open. Yeah. So luckily it's only been that bad once and I didn't actually fall asleep, but I definitely like I had to put the weight down and I had a moment of just like scary. Um, most of the time though, it just means that I'll straight up conk out at my desk for a few minutes at work, which looks bad, but I have, I, I tried to communicate with the people, my, my supervisors, like very quickly or very early. Once I start under them, it's like, Hey, I have a sleep disorder. I am working on it. I just, we're still figuring it out. And they're generally pretty cool about it. Yeah. Um, sleep disruption is super common in people with ADHD, especially insomnia, um, I mean, as a kid, that was my life. I don't think I've ever slept like a normal human. Um, I joke with my husband all the time and say that he has sleep privilege because he is that person who is like, well, I'm going to bed now and lays down and is asleep. Yep. I'm super, super jealous of people like that. Like, I don't, able to do that. I don't understand what that is. Um, but I, since, I think since I've been dealing with, str- with sleep struggles all my life, they don't necessarily interrupt my day. My biggest struggles in daily life um, revolve around attendance to small tasks. So little things that most people do and they don't really think about. um, And a lot of mine have to do with memory, remembering to do small tasks or remembering if I've done small tasks. It's like my brain is moving too fast to remember if simple process things have been completed. Um, For example, (laughs) this is from this week, actually. Part of my morning routine involves giving our dogs their medication, feeding them, and then letting them outside and back in as I'm getting ready for the day. They all kind of have their place in my morning routine. They're landmarks for me. These are physical actions that tell my brain that we've done the important things that we need to do. The other day, one of my dogs wanted to go outside an extra time. The other one didn't. So I let him out. And then as we were rushing around the house and um, and I got to work, speaking of, right, mm. as we were rushing around the house and I got to work, I suddenly realized that I didn't know if that dog was inside or outside. And I panicked and I called my husband and I was like, I'm pretty confident I left Waldo outside. I'm just 99% sure. Can you check the camera? We have a camera in the living room because of the dogs. Uh, can you check the camera? And we couldn't see him on the camera. And it caused us whole... Um, this whole panic situation. James had to come home from work in the middle of the day because he lives closer than I do. And it's all because we had, it turns out my kid had let the dog back in and I didn't have the landmark of letting the dog back in to tell me that it had been done. I hadn't like touched and closed the door, all of that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, But because we got outside of my normal pattern, my brain forgot to pay attention to all of the other landmarks in that process that it relies on. It didn't notice whether the dog was laying on the floor when I walked out the door. So these landmarks are really essential to my functioning. I never just turn something off. I always unplug it because that's a bigger Mm -hmm. physical movement and I can remember that I did that. I don't just close the door. I lock the deadbolt. I never just read an important paper. I take a picture of it. 
I color code everything that I can. I put things into my car hours or days ahead of when I need them. And it seems really unusual to people who don't live with me every day, but it's those processes that help me ensure that I don't make stupid little mistakes that have big consequences. Um, and I'm also terrible at dates and times and calendars. <laughs> like, there's this whole bucket of research actually on ADHD and time processing that's really interesting and probably explains this. Uh, but that would take me squarely into hyperfocus mode. And we absolutely do not have time for that today. Yeah. So we had uh, a lot more actually prepared. <laughs> Hyperfocus, it's funny, it'll kick in when you're writing about yourself real easy. Yeah. Um, so we actually ended up writing way more about this than we actually needed. As you can tell, this episode's running long already. But most of it, we're just going to provide further examples. I don't think we need to. We've actually kind of sprinkled them in throughout a little more liberally than we actually wrote in our show notes. <laughs> right. Um, uh, we might discuss them later. It might be uh, something that we bring up in one of our um, live chats whenever we host one of those we should be should be one coming up in the next couple of months actually because it's the end of the year and we have one quarter one per quarter and it's the last quarter of the year so we got to do it yeah we do um if you don't know what i'm talking about that's because uh, it is a patron exclusive right you gotta you gotta buy your way into hanging out with us because we are hoity toity hoity um hoity very hoity-toity. Uh, we do have a Patreon. We would love it if you threw some money our way to, uh, you know, tip us for how much work we put in on this. Right now, we're trying to reach a goal so we can hire a monthly or an editor. Uh, so <laughs> yes. I can I can spend some more time actually doing the things that I need to do and less time staying up until 3 a.m. sometimes doing the editing so we can push this out every week. So yeah, that current goal, it's like $400 a month. I think we're setting at around $7. We actually get into our pocket right now. So thank you to our patrons who are already giving us money. For the rest of you, what are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. They were waiting for this episode. That's right. That's right. And there's some other things. Patrons are going to get stuff as we think of stuff to give them exclusives for now. You can get access to our podcast. Our nope. Nope, nope. Everybody gets a podcast. Access to our Spotify playlist, which I just added some Joe Hisayashi um, music to, who, if you don't know who that is, he writes all of the music for the Studio Ghibli films for Disney. Um, and it's very fun and whimsical stuff. I am way off topic. You can also go to our <laughs> website if you want to let us know how cool we are. Uh, firesidebreakdowns.com. You can find our show notes, you can find our episodes, you can find links to all of our social media, and you can also find a feedback form there uh, where you can let us know, hey, I have a lot of those symptoms that you described, or hey, you, uh, you encouraged me to go talk to my doctor, and it turns out I have ADHD and never knew, and now treating it has made my life so much better. That's what I would say. And yeah, you can also just stop by the website because it's super cool and it comes up whenever you search Google Scholar. So if you want to see it what does. that looks like. It we does. found that out this week and it kind of is a point of pride. I'm not going to lie. Right. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, that's I, that's really it. The bump's actually really short these days. I just talk on way too long. We've got a website, firesidebreakdowns.com. Go check it out. You should go to it. It's awesome. Yeah. I could have just said that and been done with it. <laughs> But no, I didn't. I enjoy the rambling. Mm. It, it's it's on brand at this point. Very you know much. what else is on brand? 
What's that? Ending every episode with some good news. Hell yeah. Hell Give us that good yeah. news. Okay. Uh, trying to keep it relevant here. Lawmakers in eight different states that we know of are planning to use money that they gained through COVID relief measures to bolster their mental health services. Woo. Colorado specifically is planning to use $550 million plus some extra funds that they had set aside for improving student mental health. Um, and legislature, legislators in Illinois and Indiana and Maryland and Ohio and Virginia and Vermont and Washington are also setting aside millions of federal dollars for mental health services. The influx of funding that came to them through the American Rescue Plan has allowed states to make these large-scale investments where they previously had not had the funding to do so. So hopefully that means some better services for kids and adults struggling with ADHD um, and other conditions that make functioning in these traditionally structured environments more difficult. That's super cool. I'm actually surprised at the split there being relatively um, conservative-leaning. Illinois, yeah. Indiana, Ohio. Maryland has a Republican governor, Ohio. Um, those are all conservative states, but to see them investing in mental health, that's pretty, pretty cool. It's not typically something I see from more conservative mindsets. Yeah, that's exciting. So, that's super cool. Um, but that's everything for this week. We've gone on way too long. We thank you all for sticking with us this time. If there's anything you want us to talk about, you can send us that message. Patrons get priority. Mm -hmm. uh, and we will gladly cover it if you want us to talk some more about particular mental health issues or neurodiversity. Happy to do so. Can't promise that we're going to spend as much time talking about personal experiences with it because we don't know if we have anything else. <laughs> I don't right. think we do. I don't think we do. Uh, but until next week. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, take care of each other. Yes.